0: Here's I, I see an assignment coming up here in that second verse that we sang, of hymn number 299. Uh, near the end of the verse, in quotation marks, is "As thy days, thy strength shall be in measure." This the pledge to me, he made. All right. So when it's in quotes, that means usually it's it's either a direct scripture quote or a reference to a scripture. So see who can find what's the scripture that that promise is taken from, all right. 2, 299. There, as thy days and <clears throat> thy strength shall be in measure. All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Peter um, chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Oh, by the way, before we as you're turning there and before I get mess, there have been a lot of by the ways tonight, um, got a call this afternoon from Pern, uh, Pern Shaver down North Carolina. Um, some amazing things that are taking place in their lives. And, of course, one of the things that we've been praying about is a gland or a tumor on the pituitary gland that they, and he cannot get to see uh, or have another appointment until the first week of November. So he asked us to pray that the Lord would watch over them and, uh, and, and then be able to get that surgery scheduled. But that wasn't the main thing he called about. Um, well, the second thing was they were supposed to come up this next this coming week week and weekend to attend a wedding but they can't come just because of different things going on. But that wasn't the main thing either. The main thing he called about was the pastor of the church that they attend a, a independent Baptist Church, North Carolina recently had open heart surgery. He's going to be laid up for a while and the church was they were praying of course about what to do. Well long story short Pern has been, Teaching adult Sunday school, he's been filling in for the pastor, and so they had a business meeting and they called him Pern to be chairman of the board, chairman of deacons, and so forth. And they've given him kind of the unofficial title of interim pastor. And so he preached, he's preaching almost every Sunday. And I was and to listen to him and to see where he's where he's come from, where he's at. Uh, He told me, I preached today on the grace of God. And here's, you know, he was giving me kind of an outline of what he preached. And we were just, and plus they had to find a house. I mentioned some of the circumstances that they'd been going through with with Dustin and so forth. And they looked around for a house and and somebody in the church said, well, you know, I don't know why we didn't think about this before. The house right next to the church building is for sale. So they bought it. (laughs) And so, and he was just thrilled. He wanted me to just share this. Um, the Lord pro- enabled them to, so that they could be able to pay cash for the house. Yeah. They had some savings and stuff, and they just they prayed about it, talked about it, and decided to just pay it by pay, pay cash for the house. And so they're in, they're in there and, and just really excited about serving the Lord. Um, you know, they both have some, some physical issues, medical issues, but um, they're, what God is doing in their lives and, and just the grace and just their joy is just is helping them to, I mean, literally sail through these adversities. And so I um, praise the Lord for that. And so there you go. Um, I remember how sad I was. I know a lot of our folks were when they informed us that they were moving to North Carolina. they have been down there 10 years already. And uh, I mentioned the Pern. Well, now we know where, where God was leading, where, why this all took place, and everything that's happened has led to this point. In their lives, and so, uh, what a what a tremendous thing! All right, Uh, Second Peter chapter four talk about God's sufficiency. Um, There's a there's a tremendous example of what the Lord is doing. All right, Second Peter chapter number one, and I'm going to read verses one through four, and please follow along. And then we're going to base most of our thoughts tonight, um, or as a a springboard anyway, verses three and four. And a few other other scriptures we'll check into as well. But first 2 Peter chapter 1. Begin verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According according as his divine power. Hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so, just a couple of key thoughts that we want to take a look at this evening. And that is the verse 3 where it says he's given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And then verse 4, the precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, um, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. All right, let's take a moment and pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee so much for thy precious word tonight. I pray thy guidance by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who regenerates all those who trust in Christ, who borns them again, as it were, and gives them new life. We come to thee and ask thee and and him to guide us and guide our time in the word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as you know, we covered over a year, I guess, of messages on Christ in the Old Testament. We finished that. and. so whenever that happens, whenever I finish a series of any kind, um, I have a momentary feeling of like, uh-oh, now what? Uh, feeling empty and kind of a brief panic. I think, what what do I do now? Um, and then that, that always, that goes away. <laughs> and I ask the Lord to, be, or begin asking God for his newest leading. Where would you have us to go? And I'm serious about that. I really want the Lord to direct, I mean, it's his word and it's his work and and he's the one, and the Holy Spirit is the one who is our teacher. Not the, not the pastor, not anybody, not any human, but ultimately it's the Holy Spirit who's our teacher. So I just really do want to take us where the Lord would have us to go. So that, that praying and, and wondering and asking, Lord, what do I do now? That resulted in this passage coming repeatedly to my mind. Several passages came through my mind several topics, books, so on, but this, this verse, these verses just kept coming back. And so um, so I don't know precisely where it will take us or take me and, and us, but for tonight it has brought me to the point of preaching a message on the sufficiency of God, which, which ought to be a, a very clear and very straightforward and a subject, but unfortunately in the day in which we're living, even among Christians, even among churches and colleges and so on, the sufficiency of God and the sufficiency of Scripture is being called into question. Now, obviously, there's no surprise when our society does that, when the secular world and secular education and secular seminaries and all that, when they call God's Word into question or even God himself. But when so-called Christian institutions... Uh, begin to do that. That's a serious matter, all right. And so we, I'm hoping that we will we will be reinforced and be able to help others to understand that yes, God's God is sufficient, God's Word is sufficient, all right. And and so, hence, the opportunity, the offer I wrote in the bulletin this morning for you to bring questions, issues, things. And I gave, I think I gave some examples. I just have a generic bulletin without the back on it. So um, anyway. I think I put some things in there um, that you could kind of, to give you an example, but anything, any subject, um, and I won't promise definitely that I'll get into a message, but I'll do my best and look into God's word. So, the sufficiency of God. Um, I did find this, the English, our English words, sufficient and sufficiency appear a total of nine times in the New Testament, a couple times in the Old, but mostly in the New. And so, For example, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, Paul states this Our sufficiency is of God. Our sufficiency is of God. The word sufficiency means competence, fitness, or capability. All right? So, really, then, the ability to live in this world, the ability to deal with things, handle things, minister, whatever it is that that God calls upon us to do, whatever it is that we find necessary to do in this life, that capability comes from the Lord and comes from his word, okay? And so we're going to go there. However, whatever path the Lord leads us in his word, I want to do that, all right? So Three things tonight. Number one, and these these all should be very, very, very obvious, I'm sure. Number one is God is sufficient for salvation. Right? God is able to save. We'll put it that way. Right? God is able to save. All right, I have a few verses. Let's just take a look. There's how many, dozens of verses we could look at in the New Testament, but I have three, two in the book of Romans and one in Hebrews. And so Romans chapter 1 Tells us this, right? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Some of you can probably quote it. Um, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, right? To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now, the word power there is the word dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite or dynamo, and it means power, ability, but most of the idea there is of supernatural ability. In other words, ability that is beyond us, all right? it's beyond human measure or strength, or anything like that. Now, do we believe that? I hope we do. But do we, do we believe practically that the gospel is enough, the gospel itself, nothing more, nothing less, is the power of God and salvation? That means that God has poured into the gospel his power. Right? So there's something about the gospel itself. Of course, because of Jesus... All right? But here he's talking about the message of the gospel, the message of Christ. The gospel, the good news, the evangel, is what is the idea of that word gospel. By the way, the word gospel, translated here, gospel, is the word from which we get evangel. There is a word in the New Testament, translated evangelist. It comes from the same Greek word that we get gospel. Uh, the difference is a different part of speech, and so e- evangelist e, is how you say it, and it means a giver of the good news. In other words, a giver of the gospel. So the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so um, I got a text the other day from a guy, from a pastor, in fact, Matt, Pastor Recker, there in Manhattan who's been trying to visit a guy. He's, he's dying of cancer, and he does, he's so angry at everybody that he doesn't want to listen so he just asked us to pray for this man. So by the way, and people have said to me, well, they won't listen to God's word. What else what can I do? You can pray and keep giving them the word. So I'm dealing with folks like that right now. Um, there's a couple people I've been dealing with for years, actually. Um, and they just, they have, as yet, they won't listen to the gospel, all right? And so we just keep giving it. Because why? Because it's the power of God, all right? We're not the power of God, the and also Ephesians says that the Bible, the Word of God, is the sword of the Spirit. Well, there and it doesn't say if they accept it as such. No, it's the sword of the Spirit, and so it it, it can work on a person's heart and mind. And so, therefore, our our concern our burden ought to be obviously we want to give the gospel but if we can't do that just a scripture a verse of scripture to tell somebody and trust God to have that work in their mind all right and in their heart and then provide hopefully another opportunity but it's the gospel it is the power of God so God's sufficient all right Romans 10:13 a great promise Romans 10:13 again this is a verse that you probably know. Uh, if you if you're not, don't have it memorized it by location, that, you'll recognize it when we read it. It says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. Now, that word call upon is the idea of, of it's a, a, a asking for rescue. It's enlisting the aid. So that, that involves, that word assumes the person understands that they need the Lord. And they're not going to call upon him. Verse: The next verse says, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And so on. All right, so it's the, it's the promises to those who call. Now, one other verse on that, Hebrews chapter 7. These, again, these are probably familiar verses. Um, there's, a, there's always been a debate. And it's a man-made debate. People, there are some people who believe that a person can lose their salvation. Um, and really the scripture is, is pretty is very clear on that. Um, if a, for a person to lose their salvation, a lot of amazing things would have to happen. I mean amazing in the, in the wrong way. A person to lose their salvation, the Bible says we're born again, so they'd have to become unborn. Um, um, their names are written in the book of life, they'd have to be taken out of the book of life. The Holy Spirit's in him. the Holy Spirit would have to leave. The seal's there, the seal would have to be broken. I mean, there's all kinds of things that would have to happen if a person could lose their salvation. But here's a good, here's a good verse uh, for the positive aspect on that. There, uh, Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he, this is all about Jesus, the context is about Christ, our great high priest, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth, to make intercession for them. And so, and the word to the uttermost means completely, perfectly, absolutely. Right. Saved totally. His power. All right. that's right, we're kind of getting, sort of like coming into the second point. The first point, God is sufficient for salvation. Second point, God is sufficient for security. All right, God is sufficient for security. And again, I'm willing to look at have us look at two references. There's several we could look at, but let's go to John t- chapter ten. Uh, John chapter ten. Um, and in in these short passages, there are just several great things that the Bible tells us about security. John 10 and verse 27. It says this, My sheep, Jesus said. All right? My sheep, and that is saved people, not a potential sheep somewhere down the road, but those who actually are saved. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, those are some things, okay? We can enter into some, you know, the, the, there's several applications we could go on this passage. What about those who don't follow? Hmm? Well, there's a, a real question, right? Not that they're, if they're saved, they're saved and they're secure. But um, if they have no interest in following the Lord, there's a question about whether they were saved, not whether they lost it. Uh, and I, I was on a on plane one time years ago. I was with a, and this is really Kind of a weird thing in this day, but United, a United Methodist evangelist was on the same, and we were in the same row right next to each other. And so we started talking about what we do. And so right away, and he brought it up, not me. He brought it up since he found that I'm a Baptist preacher. Oh, oh, you're one of those guys that believes once you're saved, you're always saved. I said, guilty. <laughs> <laughs> guilty as charged, all right? So he brought up this thing. And uh, my my mom, his grandmother, somebody used to can fruit. And sometimes the fruit would spoil after it was sealed. I said, "Ah, my grandmother used to can fruit too. And I asked her one time, why did the fruit seal? He said, because it was never sealed in the first place. If it's sealed... It doesn't spoil. Maybe it does after 10 years or whatever. And I remember my grandma, she would listen. Any of of you ever can anything? You listen for the pop, right? For the jars to pop, the lids. That means they're sealed. I think that's what it means. That's what I was told. I've never done it by myself. But so I just said, well, you know, if a person, you know, it's not that the seal was broken. It was the fact that they were never really sealed in the first place. And so anyway, that, I didn't convince him. He didn't convince me. Bruce talked about it a little bit in Sunday school day. And I tried not to be, I did, I tried not to be argumentative, uh, but just tell him the Bible. So anyway, but, and I give unto them eternal life. Verse 28, I give unto them eternal life. Remember Romans chapter, uh, it's a gift of God. The gift of God, 623, gift of God, all right? I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, um, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And then you know what happened after that. The Jews just went nuts, and they're going to kill him. But anyway, so Jesus said, let's just pretend that this pen is a believer, all right? It's you or me who've trusted Christ as Savior. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life they should never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. all right now, we're in Christ. You know his hand is a lot bigger than mine. Um, he's, and then he says, my Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. we got a double we're doubly held the Father and the Son. And I've I've used that in some ways, some of these guys, you know, that don't believe that. Well, you can crawl out of his hand. Oh, really? (laughs) Go ahead and try it. See how that works. By the way, why would anybody want to? But anyway, anyway. Um, So, we're secure, right? But then also look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And these scriptures came up, That was interesting, uh, At the, a couple weeks ago, the ordination uh, qu- council for Pastor Randy Boston down there in Shikshini, and some of these things came up. And uh, some of these scriptures he had put in his doctoral statement about the security of the believer, uh, the, the, the security that we have in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, You know, That's this whole chapter, but we're going to start in verse 11. Speaking about Christ, All right, in whom, and, and clearly the context is all about the Lord Jesus. Verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And predestination, whenever it's used in the, in the scripture just a couple times, it's always about what we're going to be what God is going to make of us, all right? Rather than that some are predestined to hell, some are predestined to heaven. It's really never used that way in the scripture, but what we're going to be. Another place it talks about Romans 8, about predestinating us to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, the finished product, what God is doing and what he's going to produce in our life. All right, now, verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, all right? That's a good reminder of, of what we're, why we're even here. Why God leaves us in the world after he saves us, it's so that we should be to the praise of his glory. Who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Right? You're sealed, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And you, the, the word earnest, we don't use that so much today, but I've read there, back in the day, and we always talk about whatever then was, um, people talked about earnest money. We don't, say, we don't use that term anymore. We say down payment. But back in those days, whenever, again, whenever that was, people would say, I'm giving this as earnest money. And that means this is my pledge that I will pay the full amount and usually by, you know, I'll, I'll do so much a week, so much a month or whatever. By a certain day, I will pay it full. And so the idea here is that when we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes in to dwell in us. We're baptized by the Spirit and, and so forth, and we're sealed with the Spirit, and it also says that that is God's down payment. In other words, God is saying, "This is this is the down payment on your eternal redemption, and I'm going to finish the purchase." And it talks about that, the the finish of the purchased possession, verse fourteen, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Under the praise of his glory. Now, what is that redemption? Aren't we already redeemed? Yes, we are. Romans says, Romans 8 23, to wit, the adoption, the redemption of our body. When and that will take place at the rapture. So God, that's when the full, we're going we're gonna to experience the fullness of our salvation. We have not experienced the fullness of our salvation yet because we're still living in a mortal body. And we still have an old nature and we still have a body that's capable of doing sinful things. And it's not a heavenly body. It's not a body that we're going to live in for eternity in heaven. We're going to get a new body. and So the Bible calls that the redemption of the body, the actual adoption. You know what that is, right? I I don't know if anybody here has adopted anything or anybody. Um, Anyway, I won't get into that, except to say this. What he's referring to there about the adoption of the body or the redemption of the body is when the new parents, when they go to pick up the child, and that child actually goes to live in their home. Now, it's all legal, and they're part of the family in writing and, and positionally, but it's not until that child leaves the orphanage or wherever he is or she is and comes to move into that family's house and lives there that the adoption is complete. And that's what the Bible compares to our being taken to heaven. We're going to go to our father's house, and we're going we're to experience what has already been paid for and signed for, if you will, and guaranteed, we're going to see that, all right? So we're secure. Second Peter also talks about, um, or First Peter, we're kept by the power of God, all right? We're kept by the power of God. All right, so the word of God, God, rather, God, and we find it in the word, God is sufficient for security. And then number three, the last thing, God is sufficient for supply, and this is—we're this, just going to kind of get introduced to this tonight. And again, we'll, we'll see how the Lord takes us or how, we're through this. Back in Second Peter, uh, chapter number one, we we'll notice that God is sufficient for supply. What is it? What I mean? Well, God is sufficient to supply all that we need to live in this world, right? And I think we're going to see what, what I'm talking about in just a moment, all right? Oh, I better get to second Peter. It didn't look quite just right. Um, 2 Peter, all right? And so God is sufficient for supply. And so number one under here, if you will, the source. The source, 2 Peter 1, verse 3, according as his divine power. So the source, there are three Sources, if you will. It's actually one source and two aspects of that. But the source is this His divine power, all right? God's supernatural power. And often in Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Word of God will will use to illustrate the power of God, the creation and order and sustaining and ruling of the universe. all right, um, and I, I, it's it's really comical sometimes. Well, I haven't done this very often, but once in a while, um, I've caught an episode, if you want to call it that, of the world's strongest men competition. And one of the things they do, they pick up these round boulders, and they could, if some, you know, they could pick up some of them like three, four hundred pounds. And they're oh, whoa, whoa, and they got this little thing, and they're on their shoulders. And I think, man, is that pathetic or what? And God holds the whole universe in his power, in his hand, right? And I'm taken back to Psalm chapter 8 where it talks about the moon and the stars and the Bible, David calls them the work of thy fingers, all right? So, I mean, I I know, the. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's amazing, but to compare man and his puniness that he thinks he's really strong and compared to God, all right? And um, by the way, when you talk about somebody being a sinner and try to give them the gospel, it, it, it's good to be, be sure to remind them, you know, God's not comparing you to the drunk on the street or the murderer. He's comparing you to himself. That's what God compares us to. All of sinned, come short of the glory of God, his standard, all right? So his power, it's his power that supplies. So, but then in verse 3, it talks about, one source of that source, if you will, or one outpouring, or one way that we can avail ourselves, according as his divine power hath given, us to all, given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And so the knowledge of him, or the, that's the knowledge of God, revealed in his written word. So knowledge, as we grow in grace and knowledge, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says. Alright? And the converse of that is in the Old Testament prophets where God said, My people, not the world, my people is destroyed for what? Lack of knowledge. And they did it, they kind of purposely set aside the knowledge of God. But on the positive side, it is through that knowledge, God's knowledge, which He has given us in His Word, that's how we are supplied. And then it says a third one in verse 4 whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Exceeding, not just promises. Not just precious promises, not just great and precious, but exceeding, beyond great is the idea there. Precious promises, okay? So promises that are so great and so precious, promises we can believe, promises that we can rely on, promises that we can cling to, and yes, promises that we can build our lives upon, right? This is true because God is bound by his nature and his word to keep every promise that he has made. Now, I'm I'm really not thinking about unconditional promises. There's a few of those in Scripture. God's just going to do this. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's unconditional. If we do everybody, that's everybody who calls on the Lord. But a lot of God's promises are conditional. If you want God, if God says, if you want me to do this, then you must do this. We cannot disobey or violate the word of God and then say, God, you promised. No, he, no, we can't do that. Um, so, And that, by the way, that's what he talks about In verse number 3 and 4, the supply, all right? The source is God and his word. Here's the supply, all right? In verse 3, he has given to us, here's what he supplies, all things that pertain unto life and godliness, okay? All things. That is, anything and everything, that is, the whole realm really the, that all things is one word in the original. It's where we get our word panorama. In other words, the whole realm, whatever it is that we need um, in order to live this life. And it's interesting that the word life is the idea of our whole life um, in the way that God created us for and intended us uh, to live and so that we might live Godly. So, in other words, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Godliness is a word that means piety, holiness, or devotion. So, we can live a life devoted to God and live a life the way that He wants us to, which is an incredible, incredibly great thing. And again, we're—I'm just kind of giving you a little bit of a a base or foundation, and hopefully, we'll develop these things. We'll see the sufficiency of God's Word in, in many different areas. Of life, and then secondly, the by the the great and precious promises. See that in verse four, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so, two things about this, these promises and the the supply, is this: He has that we might be partakers. Of, And that word partake means just what it says. It means to partake, to be a participant in or with. It's the idea of those who join with another in a certain activity. We're joining with God. and We're becoming a partaker, a participant in. Um, and availing ourselves of is all involved in that partakers of. What are we partakers of? The divine nature. You see that in verse 4. The divine nature. And the divine nature simply means this, the very nature or essence of God himself. We can partake of that. How is this possible? Well, number one, God himself dwells in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that we're indwelled. The Spirit of God lives in us. Our body is the temple of the Spirit, so on. So he dwells in us in the person of the Holy Spirit, and he's powerful. The Holy Holy Spirit, is like God the Father and God the Son, he is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, all right? And so he dwells in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And then in salvation or at salvation, We not only receive the Holy Spirit, but I believe the Bible teaches that we receive a new nature. Now, this is not necessarily, this is not exactly the divine nature, but it's part of how we partake of the divine nature. We receive a new nature. We receive, namely, a regenerated spirit. All right? We receive spiritual life. And I believe, again, that Scripture says that is, that is what is born when one is born again. We're dead in, spirit, dead in trespasses and sin. We have no spiritual life. When we're saved, we, 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 we're regenerated. We're made alive. When we're born, well, what's born? Our spirit is born, that new spirit, the new nature. All right? Let me just, let's get a couple of scriptures quick. We've got to take a look in this. On um, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is one of them. Um, and I, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to illustrate. Um, there's a couple, um, a kind of a homely illustration I was going to use for Ephesians chapter 4. But notice in Ephesians chapter 4 says this. I encourage you to study more of this passage, and we may do that. Days ahead, But here is <clears throat> Paul's exhortation to the believers now, that ye put off, concerning the former conversation of the former life, the former conduct, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful us, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness, and true holiness. I should have brought two jackets, <laughs> because put off. We put off, and and I um, just bear with. You, but put off. Oh, out of here! I'm done with you, the old man. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. That's the life, the person I was before I'm saved. Okay, now I got to bring this over here because it's not the old man anymore. All right, now it's the new man. And Paul says, put on. The new man, all right? So I go to my closet, and I take it off the hanger, and I put it on, all right? It clothes me and so on. And so that's the idea of putting on the new man, all right? We take it to ourselves. We live according to it. We, we, get, we get the resources, the benefits from that new man. But notice it says, it is created after God, in the words, in the likeness of God, created in, in righteousness and true holiness, we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse seventeen: If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All right, and what is that? Well, that's that creation of the new man. All right. Now, one other scripture on that: First John chapter three. First John chapter three. Again, these these are there's so many uh, people that they take they try to make the scriptures go a different direction. And there are those who try to use the scripture to say that you can lose your salvation, all right? Then there are those who try to use the scripture to say that you can become sinlessly perfect in this life. One of those is 1 John chapter 3, the scripture we're going to look at right now. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, okay? Little children, okay, John's writing to believers, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So, in other words, a person who practices, does, by by way of a a pattern of life. It's the idea that's not just a one-time act, but the word doeth there is in the tense that means continually doing. So that it becomes a pattern of life, a lifestyle, if you will. Eight, he that commiteth sin is of the devil, And again, the word committeth there is the idea of habitual practice, a lifestyle, is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, he will do that ultimately, but that's it's talking about right now. To destroy here is not annihilation, but it's to render ineffective. Because the devil's works are still out there, but in the Christian, they become ineffectual through the power of God. Now, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. All right, now, yes, there's an aspect that's talking about continuing in sin. A, born, a person who's born of God cannot sin and, sin and 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 sin. Just keep on sinning without any break, without any, you know, without any lessening or anything or diminishing. And yes, that's a possible application. It is an application. But what is he saying? But there's more to it. He says, his seed remaineth in him. Now it's interesting. That the word seed here is the idea of that which is born or that which is produced. And so it could very well be that that seed is referring to the new nature that's born of God. When we're born again, our new nature is born something that we don't have before we're saved. All right? And he cannot sin. So. That, the, our new nature does not sin, and I believe that's biblical, all right? Our, the new man, our regenerated part, doesn't sin. Well, then what does? We, obviously, we know that. Our body sins, our old nature. Our body, led by the old nature, can sin, right? But our new nature doesn't, right? Because the Bible says we're going to get a new body, but I don't think it says we're going to get a new spirit because when we're saved, our spirit is redeemed. It is regenerated. Why else would Paul say that the rapture, the adoption, is the redemption of our body? Our body is going to be changed into the same state that our spirit is. Now, our redeemed spirit, we still have a human spirit, all right? So I know it can be kind of a little bit complex, maybe, a little bit confusing. I'm trying to break it down. And make it simple, there is a part of us, when we're saved, we get a new nature. All right? And Paul talks about that part of him follows God, um, obeys God. But the old nature doesn't. Okay. Um, and then it says, having escaped, the corruption is in the world through lust. In other words, God also provides for us victory over sin, allows us to escape the corruption that is in the world, through lust, victory over sin. All right, and this is the last scripture, Romans chapter 6. Right? Romans chapter 6. And, and, you know, the devil does not want us to know about this. He really doesn't. He doesn't want us to grasp this. He doesn't want us to, to trust in this or live by this fact. Um, the fact is that we can overcome sin. The fact is we must overcome sin if we're, going to, if we're going to be true followers of the Lord Jesus. Romans 6.11, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Dead is the idea of unresponsive. Alive, responsive. Alive to God. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't let it. Don't let it. Neither yield ye your members, that means, in other words, your physical body, parts, as instruments of, of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. All right? What's that? That's that new nature. That's that born again. That part of us is alive from the dead and your members as instruments. See, our members are not yet born again. They will, you know, that'll happen. We'll be redeemed. We get to heaven fully. But our, our, our physical body can be. In fact, our physical body is an instrument. It's either an instrument of unrighteousness or an instrument of righteousness. All right, obviously it can't be both at the same time. But we go through times, and, and as believers, those times need to be less and less, that we yield and your members as instruments of, of yeah, as instruments of righteousness unto God. So God has commanded us, put bring it all together, be ye holy, for I am holy. And God never gives us a command without giving us the resources to carry out that command. God demands that we as believers live a certain way. And that's in that's Prescribed for us in the word of God. He has also provided for us all the resources we need. We just have to appropriate and apply them. Because God is sufficient, his word is also sufficient. The word itself. And we've, we've looked at some general statements tonight. Perhaps as the, as the in time and days ahead, as the Lord leads, we'll look at specific scriptures that, that apply to specific issues or situations. All right? So, having said that, next Sunday evening, Lord willing, I plan to preach a message from 2 Timothy three sixteen and seventeen on the sufficiency of Scripture. All right, and I and again, I want to make that offer in closing. If you have questions about that, issues of life, um, and I mentioned a few examples, but let me just say, issues of you know finances, um, addictions, um, you know, all kinds of things. Um, the Scripture does have the answer. The Scripture has the power to let people free and give deliverance over these things. All right, that's we're done for tonight. But um, so uh, I trust, perhaps this is, is encourage you and maybe provoke you to do some more study into some of these things. But also just to thank God for what we have in Christ. Father, thank you so much for this time that we can have in Thy Word tonight. I pray and hope that it's been an encouragement. And I pray you'd help me, dear Lord, because these are very important things, key things. We we need to be able to get a hold of these things, and most of all, have those things get a hold of us so that we can better put them into practice in our lives. And so help us, God, we pray, in Jesus' name, um, amen. All right, uh, closing hymn tonight, 200, 214. 214, please stand. And let's sing verse.